Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. today is Philippians 2, 12 through 16. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Pray with me, if you would. Father, we are grateful people to gather and fellowship under your word. I pray, Lord, that each and every individual hearing your word preached today would encounter you in it, Lord, that you would move, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, that you would be with me, Lord. Help me to be faithful to the truth of your word. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Good morning. All right. I'm Matt. People who don't know me, um, I'm one of the men's coordinators here. And every now and then I get the uh, opportunity to preach. So this is a rare treat <laughs> for me. We'll see if it is for you. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've had this cargo carrier on our car for uh, several months now, and uh, some of you might have seen it on the parking lot. The thing about it is it has a lot of stickers on it, um, stickers that were placed there by Cheryl Wimberly, um, and it's because it's their cargo carrier that we've been borrowing. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, these stickers, they represent organizations that they support, uh, places they've traveled, um, activities they've participated in, like the famous Ironman triathlon. Y'all ever heard of that? So if you know anything about the Ironman, it's, uh, it's a grueling competition and requires peak athleticism, a lot of time dedicated to training. Uh, it tests your strength, your endurance, mental fortitude. And it's not known for being something easy to accomplish. Uh, people get tattoos of the little Ironman logo after completing it like, the Roman legions would get SPQR, you know? Like, it's a, it's a big deal. It holds a lot of meaning because it's very costly. So back to the cargo carrier. Um, here I am driving around <laughs> with a bunch of stickers representing uh, places that I have not visited, Canada being one. Sorry, Kelsey, for that. Um, <laughs> uh, organizations I'm not even sure I know about. There's things on there I don't even know what they are, right? 
Um, and then there's this Ironman logo. It's a triathlon that I've never participated in. Um, I haven't even really watched it, to be honest. I haven't seen it. Uh, but it's a sticker that represents an accomplishment that I haven't achieved. Um, in the grand scheme of things, not really a big deal, right? Uh, most people either don't know about the Ironman or uh, don't care enough to give me a once-over when I get out of the vehicle to see if, I'm, if they think that I'm actually capable of doing this. <laughs> so um, a spoiler here is if I were to do this today, I would probably fail miserably, maybe not make it through. I mean, it's, you know, that grueling. Now, here's the thing. Patrick... Uh, he completed the Ironman many years ago. His wife and his kids supported him and lived with him through all the training and the dedication. His family has some stake in that competition. Um, it's a noteworthy achievement, right? It's something that should bring a good sense of accomplishment uh, because it was earned. It was the fruit of labor, right? The result of dedication measured in a sort of suffering. It's not something for me to represent. Um, although I'm quite thankful for the use of the cargo carrier, appreciate that, um, it doesn't represent me. And in some way, it can project a false sense about who I am. I mean, this, and this isn't to bring judgment or condemnation on myself, but it does raise an interesting thought about representation and accountability that we'll circle back to in a bit. Um, for now, let's dive back into the text. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. It's catchy, right? What are the implications to that? I mean, this is something that every individual who walks by faith in Christ must do. This is the call on our lives. Um, the working out of our faith manifested in our daily lives. And it's not something we can use a proxy for. It's ours. I mean, there's a sense of ownership in the statement, work out your own salvation, that demands a sort of individual response. So husbands in the room, your wives can't work out your salvation for you. Sorry. Wives, your husbands can't work out your salvation for you. Children, your parents can't work out your salvation for you. Right, son? Parents, your kids can't work out your salvation for you. I mean, your friends, your siblings, your pastors, leaders, no one can work out your salvation for you. Remember last week when we heard, uh, every knee shall bow? Remember that? Well, the next verse in Romans says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And we will all have to give an account of ourselves before God. And this is why Paul is talking about his physical absence from the church and exhorting them to continue on steadfastly. Because Paul can't walk out their salvation for them. He can encourage them and pray for them. He can visit them. He can send others to check in on them. He can be used by the Lord to provide all manner of encouragement and find ways to minister to their needs but he cannot live their lives in Christ for them. It's theirs to do, like it's ours to do. So back to the Iron Man sticker. Imagine for a moment that Patrick enters and finishes the Iron Man, which he did. And then I go out and I get the sticker and I get the tattoo 
and I celebrate that I finished the Ironman. That would be absurd, right? Yeah, of course, it would be disingenuous. And that's what it's like in, in some regard to look at those around us who are growing in sanctification and somehow present their lives on our behalf as a substitute to be judged instead of us. Not do any work ourselves, not participate in partnership, not walk alongside one another in unity, but just count ourselves as having done those things without actually doing them. To just live passively before the Lord and expect everyone else to walk out these good works we've heard so much about, you know? It'd be like wearing one of those I donated blood stickers when your coworker went and donated blood. If you want the sticker, go donate blood. We work out our own salvation, friends. The good news is that we aren't working it out in isolation, right? Just because nobody else can do it for you doesn't mean that we're alone in it. And we have the Holy Spirit, the word of truth. We have the camaraderie of fellow believers. We are well equipped to run this race. We've been given all we need in Christ, as we heard last week. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And that's what Paul continues to remind this church of in his absence, like we heard a few weeks back in chapter 1. Only let, the, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. This is one of those aspects of gospel community and partnership that's so incredibly profound, that striving together that Patrick touched on a few weeks back, you know, the locked arm-in-arm visual that we had. That's a major part of how we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, we, how we align ourselves as citizens under the banner of Christ. So back to verse 1. As you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. So you see the similar theme here that we had in 127. And Paul's setting up this idea of the church not only representing the gospel well, but doing so without his guiding presence. I mean, Paul's life to the church was summed up in, I've determined to know nothing among you <laughs> except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so you can imagine the kind of man he was in the Lord the things that he could inspire and draw out of those in his company. And if you're basking in the presence of that kind of person, filled with the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and truth, it's a great motivator, right? And Paul's aware of this because Paul knows what it is to be human. He spent time with all sorts of people. He spent time with himself. He's seen some of the best and some of the worst, and Paul knows the tendency in us to wear masks to perform with the right audience, to grow weary of doing good when we don't feel like anyone's watching. So his affirmation to the church in their obedience to the truth of the gospel is quickly backed by an exhortation to stay the course without his physical presence as a guiding hand, which speaks to the care of not only a fellow brother, but of a leader in the church. He wants this church to be grounded, to be encouraged in their faith, to know that Christ is sufficient for them. And by the faith the Lord has already granted them, they can work out their salvation. 
You see, there is both a confidence in the Lord's hand being the mechanism by which we walk out our salvation and a sobering reality that we are still held accountable to the way we live our lives. And there's a tension here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And please understand, just to clarify, work out is different than work for. And the context here should not be misinterpreted to take this as a, a mandate for earning your salvation through works. Paul is not advising these believers to keep on heaping good works at God so they can be saved at the end. He's telling them that since they are saved because of the faith they have in Christ, their lives should reflect that salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that is where the fear and the trembling come into play. And the fear we're talking about here isn't merely to be afraid. It's not cowering with dread. It's a fear rooted in the reality that we represent something far greater than ourselves. We are not our own. We were purchased at great cost by the very God that works and wills according to his good pleasure. Our lives are testaments to the greatest exchange that ever has or ever will take place. And so there should be a healthy reverence in our minds when we consider how we ought to live. As believers, we are truth bearers. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're called ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation because we have had the scales lifted from our eyes and can see the truth. And the truth is a person, it's Jesus Christ. And so as we consider the declarations we see in scripture about the role of the church, the people of God to the world around us and to one another, it makes sense that we're supposed to be lights and ministers and those who love well, because it's God who loves well. It's God who's light. It's God who's at work in us, exacting his will through us. And being reminded of that should give us pause. And we should consider the call on our lives, not in a frantic panic to earn it, but it should produce a desire to live worthy of it. The gift has been given so what do we do with it, you know? Now, do we tremble before God with uncertainty? Are we called to faith to live lives questioning the basis for our salvation as something rooted in our ability to produce and maintain it? No. No, we tremble because of the certainty of our calling juxtaposed with our earthly lives. The greatest truth entrusted to imperfect people we fear because so great a salvation has been granted to we who could never be worthy of it apart from God's calling. We stand reverently before the grace of God, knowing only in part how necessary his grace truly is for us. And take a moment, sit in that. Consider the weight of, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't gloss over it. Don't read past it to find the parts that are more enjoyable or easier to understand. Sit in it for a moment.
God is at work in you. And he's doing it because he wants to do it. It's his sovereign hand exacting his eternal will through you, through us. For the sake of the lost being found and the blind seeing, for the sake of his glory, his name being exalted, he's letting us partake in this. He's letting us be the instruments of his divine plan. It is huge. The creator of the universe who is and was and always will be delights in letting his ransomed people represent him to the world. And so you can see where Paul takes it after this and why. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do you think Paul is saying that to a people who are beyond grumbling? People who live in such perfect harmony with everyone and everything around them that they've just transcended the nature of Adam? No. The fatherly love of Paul to this church is both admonishing and affirming these believers. He knows the weakness of the flesh, and he's helping reinforce the proclamation of the divine call on the church to be representatives of Christ by giving some practical standards on how we should conduct ourselves. This goes in line with so many other exhortations in Scripture. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We aren't constantly reminded of these things because we're above them. No, grumbling and disputing and sin are waiting at the door. It's a default state for our flesh. But on the other hand, we are reminded of these things because they're ours in Christ. Christ has overcome the world, and having our life hidden in him is the only way we can do things without grumbling or disputing. A mind stayed on Christ and a mind rooted in the word of God, he's provided a way to work it out. He's given us the tools, right? All things pertaining to life and godliness granted to us. And again, we see a tension here. On some level, there is a measure of healthy self-distrust that's necessary. We don't find comfort in our ability to perform the working out of our salvation. We aren't meant to. We find comfort in God's hand at work within us. The tension that we exist in is simply a knowing that apart from God, we can't fulfill the call. Our reliance is a necessity for our walk, strength and weakness. It's a part of the reason we don't boast in ourselves. And it produces in us a true humility before God and one another. A humility that allows us to question ourselves but not doubt the truth. A humility that acts as a precursor to the joy we've been talking about in the book of Philippians. And I'm going to reiterate this point because language falls short and our minds can wander and we're prone to forget we are not being encouraged to do these things because we've got a salvation problem that being less grumbling or less argumentative or not righteous enough is going to fix. 
Christ is the salvation. He's our assurance and our hope. He has secured an eternal future with him for all who believe. This isn't about earning it. It's about an outflow for those who have been granted this living hope. It's a reminder to stave off our forgetfulness. We're called sons and daughters, and when we lose sight of that, he's faithful to draw us back into remembrance. And he uses his word, and he uses his church, and he uses his spirit that whispers, look to me when we've gone astray. This isn't about setting an impossible standard to make us into self-righteous zealots. This is about being reminded of who we are and why we're here. And again, it's all about Jesus Christ. And this is one of the reasons we pray, uh, not just for ourselves and our family and for need, but we pray for the church. We pray for each other. Like Paul says in, in 2 Thessalonians, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Think about these words for a second. You read through Philippians and Colossians and you get that sense of accountability to live worthy of the gospel. And it's, it's somewhat personal, right? It's hard not to filter that through your own existence. But then you read this verse in uh, 2 Thessalonians and you see Paul and his companions holding up the church in prayer that, had, that their fellow believers would live worthy of the calling and not just that, but that God would do the work. There's two things that stand out here. One, we should care not only for our own walk, but for the walk of those around us. And that care should absolutely be grounded in prayer. And two, we are reminded that our standing and worth in the gospel is rooted in God's hand preparing and ultimately enabling us to do it all. No good work apart from God's hand. It's by faith and his power, folks. We're recipients of grace through and through. No boasting, no comparisons, no rivalry, discord, or contention. Equal footing before the throne of grace. All in need, all inherently unworthy, and yet made worthy through faith in Christ. So do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And the language that's used here to describe the shine as lights is the same word used heavily in the Gospels, the Gospel letters to describe the sort of appearing. It's the idea of something being made clear, brought into view. It's the same word used to describe Jesus as light shining in the darkness in John. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God purposed his church to appear to this world as lights. Not so we stand out more for our own sake or earn the praises of men, but so that Christ would be seen. Humility in that, isn't it? I want to connect the idea of do all things without grumbling and disputing with this concept of joyful humility. Grumbling and disputing are rooted in pride. It's self-exalting, selfish, does not love its neighbor or care for others. It's about us, right? And humility reframes our perspective on everything. It's not entitled. It's not selfish. It doesn't make us exalt ourselves or hate ourselves. It gives us a right understanding of ourselves and allows us to truly see and embrace the role of being an image bearer of God. 
And this produces joy. Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What do we have that we have not been given? What faith exists apart from Christ? So we have this inherent humility that rests as the foundation of not only our salvation, but our sanctification as well. That it's God at work in us. And there's an assurance in that. A hope in that truth that's unwavering. And that should produce in us joy. Because to truly receive Christ is to truly experience humility. And a true joy cannot exist apart from humility. I'm going to go back in time here to the Proverbs. Fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. So remember, saints, remember who called you. Remember why you were called. We are sojourners. (laughs) We have a purpose on this earth and it's not about us. It's about standing out from the darkness of the world because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Being lights, being waypoints that pave the way of grace to whosoever the Lord puts in our path. So as we're reminded, let us remind each other. Let's walk side by side in the unity of faith. Let's live lives worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And let's continue to do so together with Christ as our source of life, our hope, and our sustainer. Let's pray. Father, just continue to work in us to draw us closer to you, Lord, to shape us into a people that reflect your Son to those around us. Have your way with us, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this body and this community. And I pray you would continue to grow us together in love, rooted in you. You will surely do it, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.